Hello and welcome to the Wednesday Word Podcast. This is a roundtable podcast produced by Desert Spring United Methodist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. We're so happy that you have joined us today. Today's guest is Sharon Scobie and B.B. Bruckner. And uh, our topic uh, is uh, making a difference in the world. Um, The podcast always has something to do with Sunday sermon in some fashion. Um, And if you'd like to catch the sermon, you can do so on our website. It's a wonderful series uh, by Pastor David on our purpose statement. Um, So we've been talking about welcoming all and we've been talking about finding your purpose um, and now this week making a difference. Um, So I'm so lucky to have two guests that uh, make a difference in people's lives and uh, are intentional about uh, living out that part of our calling as Christians. Um, So I'll be reading Pastor David's devotional for today and then we'll pause and stop along the way and talk a little bit about the questions that he'd like us to put some thought into and uh, hopefully This is a a spiritual refresh uh, for your week. Okay, so our scripture for today is Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 36. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The parable of the Good Samaritan is one of Jesus' most known parables. The moral of the story seems simple, but making the parable our story is pretty difficult. The story has four characters. The first, an unknown person with no identification, lies beaten and nearly dead along the road. Who is the person? Is there any way to determine who this person was? You can't tell who the person was or the kind of person he was just by looking. And that is an important lesson. It's also important to the story. We don't know if the person is a Jew or a Gentile, a rabbi or a sinner, a person who has made good decisions in life, or a person who has made bad decisions. All we know is the person was in need. The second character in the story is a priest, and we know the priest. 
He was a man of God, someone committed to the law of Moses. The third person was a Levite, and we know the Levite. He was a church leader who assisted with important aspects of church life. The fourth person was a Samaritan, and that's about all we know, except he was not liked or appreciated by Jews, and he was in Jewish territory. So we know the story. A man had been beaten, stripped, and left along the road half dead. While we may never come across such a scene, we certainly see human need around us. As you think about your life, where are you seeing human need along your journey? And what kind of needs do you see? So where are you seeing need and what kind of need? Well, I think that along your life journey, you, you encounter needs of many kinds. There's always general needs, uh, and those don't change. People that um, need physical help, um, either um, financial resources, others need spiritual help, they're in pain spiritually, uh, maybe both. <clears throat> and some of the jobs that I've had, I've definitely seen human need. Um, I think about when I worked at a maximum security prison for women, mm. death row. And that was a very tough job. And I had never seen such needs and a variety of needs. Sometimes um, you see needs on the street. Sometimes you see needs within your family, your circle of friends, strangers. So this is an almost endless list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And I had no idea you worked on a women's prison in death row. Is that correct? Yes. What were your duties there? Well, um, I was in charge of uh, the library and the law library. So we had, it was a very big um, prison. And so I had to um, take care of legal needs for death row inmates as well. Um, and so I've got a lot of stories. Wow. <laughs> a lot of stories. It's very interesting to me. Um, I've always kind of been interested in prison ministry. Um, and uh, I, I'd love to just have a conversation. You know, well, I can, I can give you one example. We are restricted as staff. You know, there's not a lot of interaction, uh, no physical touching. So you are restricted, but you can be kind. You can uh, be caring. Um, you can take care of the uh, inmates that that come to you and they have a need that you can help them with, um, even with a lot of restrictions, like the needs you see here on the street. Uh, you can also, you know, you may not be able to physically help them, but you can find other ways to help. Right, and that touched on something I, I want to circle back to uh, later on. But Sharon, uh, I know that you uh, you see a lot of human need as we all do. Where do you see the most need um, as you move along your life? And, and what needs do those people have? I think when I was director of um, the food pantry for the, the Methodist Church in Las Vegas, 
there was definitely a need for food, but there's also a need for friendship and for people caring beyond the food and helping helping them get out of a situation that maybe they're in that's causing them to, to need food or to need help. Um, I remember especially we had a situation where we had uh, we had people who had degrees who had gone to college and it was just a downturn in the economy and they would have never thought that they were going to be at a food mm -hmm. pantry mm -hmm. and it was discouraging them to them and kind of belittled them to think that they had to come to a place like this to survive and so being a friend um, and we'd see the same people on a weekly basis or a monthly basis and it was always nice to be able to call them by their name and to, to greet them and, and just spend some time with them other than just giving them the food and ushering them out the door. Mm -hmm. I think of that even when I was teaching. Um, some students just needed encur more encouragement than others, and they just needed to have, again, maybe their home situation wasn't the best, so they needed encouragement from us as teachers and uh, to support them as best we could. So I see that as another need that maybe sometimes gets overlooked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what, what did you teach? I was, uh, I was teaching in a high school teaching business subjects. Oh, okay. So, okay. Uh, yeah, that's, that seems to be an age group that has many needs and may or may not be open to receiving help with those needs. Well, and they were, they were high school students, so by the time they're in high school, you know, they want to be their own person, right. and, and they don't always like to accept it, and yet you can tell that they need some assistance in mm -hmm. some way. So you try mm -hmm. to be as much of a friend as well as a teacher. You have, There's a fine line there but you at least try to do the best you can in that situation. So again, you think the students needed friendship the way that the food pantry clients did, or in a different way, but still friendship? Probably in a different way, S support. Um, it was always, uh, my son is also in an elementary school, and, and what he notices so much is some of the students who come from where families don't care. The parents don't really care, and he's in an elementary school, and he said it's just sad, and they start acting out. They start, and and it may not be that they don't know how to learn. It's just there's too many other things going on in their life that mm -hmm. learning isn't at the top of the list. Right. That's right. If you don't have your basic needs, including nurturing and right. loving, right. cared for, learning is not part of your priorities. Right. I need right. to be loved. I need right. to be, uh, I need to know that I matter. Right. And you don't know if they, what their home situation is like, if they're actually living in a car. Yeah, some right. students are, so you, you have no idea many times. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's too bad, but those are usually the parents that don't come and talk to you. You know, right. The, the students that are doing well, their parents come to come see and you. talk, right. But pe students who are not doing so well, typically you don't see their parents. Mm -hmm. so, so that's sad. During the pandemic or, or as we're coming out of the pandemic, um, did you see the need for friendship and community grow in, in that time or in this time as well? 
Okay, I've been retired for a long time. <laughs> so I wasn't involved in education during the pandemic. But just listening to um, people who, who were teachers, um, they're seeing a big change in students right now as far as uh, respect for, mm. for the teachers and just, um, I don't know, that, that whole time period, probably being alone, not with other people so much, that they um, just are having a hard time getting back in the swing of mm -hmm. things. Out of the pandemic as a, as a staff member, um, for those who don't know, I, I should have said this in my introduction, I am the outreach director for Desert Spring and I uh, do work full time here at the church. And um, it was very interesting to me that people have been so hungry for community and the need for connection um, seems to be greater than at any other time that I've seen, the need for a church family. Um, and a place to belong. Um, it, it's it's just a, a big need that I, I think people have now. In, in my job, one of the things that I do is um, take care of our social media accounts. And I post things and I uh, choose to maybe advertise a little bit um, about the church and what we're doing here and so forth. And two weeks ago, uh, Pastor David, um, his sermon was All Are Welcome. And I just thought that was an outstanding sermon. It, he's, all of his sermons are phenomenal. But in particular, that one just kind of hit me in the heart. And I know a lot of people felt the same way. And so I wanted to, um, on Facebook, I wanted to upload just the sermon, not, not the whole worship service. And I wanted to, you know, get it, get a few more people to hear it. So I put a few dollars behind it and hoping, you know, people need to hear this message that all are welcome at church and, and you're, you're welcome at Desert Spring and all means all and welcome means welcome. And the, that whole sermon I thought was just phenomenal. And so the, arguments that came back from that post I was shocked and it was not people it was people that went to church it was Christians that were arguing that all are well, all are not welcome and not all are welcome and not welcome welcome doesn't mean welcome welcome means something else and um and at first, it seemed to me that maybe they wanted to have a conversation about this, that maybe they truly felt that we were missing the mark on this point at, at, of the church. And, and so I wanted to engage, and I wanted to have an open, honest conversation about this. But they did not. What, what they were looking for was an argument. And proving their point was much more important to them than having a conversation about who was welcome in the church. So, you know, I wasn't beaten, stripped, and left by the side of the road. But emotionally and spiritually, it was, 
it was a difficult thing for me to try to make my brothers and sisters in Christ see that all are welcome. Um, because they have such different definitions of those words. Um, so I see that as being a human need. And I was trying <laughs> in my own way to, to, to fill a need um, and miss the mark badly. I don't know that you did, Anne, because um, I think this parable really speaks to that, that exact thing, um, because this guy who was beaten up, left half dead, was um, not someone that, well, the we want to have mercy, and that's what Jesus, uh, when he asked the question, who was the neighbor? The answer was the man who showed mercy. So um, I think that speaks exactly to all are welcome. We always should show mercy. I think part of this is, too, fear. Uh -huh. um, when yeah. we see someone, quote, unquote, different from us, mm -hmm. there's, there's fear involved because we don't quite know what to expect. We're out of our comfort zone. I, I think you're absolutely right. And in the course of working for the church, I feel like if we're reaching people who make us uncomfortable, then we're doing our job. We need to be stretched out of our comfort zones. And we need to welcome people who are searching for God searching for Jesus, searching for a church family, searching for relationships. And if they make us uncomfortable, well, okay, that's what we ask for. And, and you know, we will be blessed by this person. I had, my husband and I had an experience when we were first married. We were, had moved to um, San Diego and we were participating in a young couples group and we met this one couple that um, they just turned us off. Mm -hmm. And we went home and we said, well, we won't be friends with them. The ironic thing was they ended up being our best friends. <laughs> so Whoops. making that decision before we really even got to know them mm -hmm. was, was really wrong. And, I mean, that taught us a huge lesson right there, mm -hmm. that until you get to know people, you can't make those judgments. Yeah. And actually, you're not supposed to judge anyhow. So, right. But, At all. Right. 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 Yeah. But yeah. it kind of got the message to us. Right. That's wonderful. What a great story. Yeah. And you were really blessed by these people who stretched you out of your comfort zone. Right. Yeah. And that's so much like this parable, too, isn't it? Because um, we, this is unexpected, what Jesus the story is unexpected. That's not the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> That's right. You know, we'll get into the leaders, the religious leaders. They should have taken care of him, but then they didn't. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was someone totally unexpected that did. Right, right. Which leads us into Pastor David's next paragraph. A priest came upon the unknown person in need and didn't stop. Instead, he passed by, leaving the man in need of help. So why might the priest have chosen to pass by the man in need? 
And why do we pass by people in need? I think the the priest um, was afraid he would be considered unclean, and so he didn't want to take that chance. Um, and I, I'll, with the last part of that, as far as people in need, I think it's the fear, like we mentioned just a bit ago, that uh, sometimes we pass by because we're afraid. Afraid, afraid of what? What well, are we afraid of? I mean, in this situation, maybe going through our mind is, is he really hurt? Oh, okay. Or is he just playing and I'm going to get robbed or I'm oh, going to get I beaten see. or something? Right. I mean, those types of things, especially nowadays, probably go through our heads. when, And you don't know the circumstances. Sometimes if you see someone in the, in the night. Right. Um, and maybe because you're a woman instead of a man, maybe that's mm-hmm. another issue. Mm-hmm. So, Bibi, what what do you think the priest might have chosen to pass by, and and why do we pass by? I think the simple answer was he he had somewhere else to be. He didn't want to get involved. He didn't want it to take up his time. I think that's a simple answer, and that's often mm-hmm. our answer too. We're too busy. It's not our problem. Mm-hmm. Move on. Let's move it, on. It's simple inconvenience. It's yeah, just right. inconvenient. Yeah. To help. Yeah. I've got things that I'm doing. I've got errands that I need to run. I've got this. I've got that. Um, uh, but I think fear, the fear is there, too. And the fear of being taken advantage of. Um, you know, you know, don't give cash because you don't know what they're going to do with it. And, you know, uh, that's, a, that's a real concern um, as well. Are we called as Christians to help everyone individually? Are we individually called to help everybody. I think we're all called to help all people. Then we have to determine how we can do that with our limited physicality and resources and placement in the world. But uh, we're called to love all. And there is no, uh, well, everybody but you (laughs) Mm -hmm. kind of thing Mm -hmm. here. We're all created in God's image. And um, but the challenge is to determine how we can do that, uh, living in our little space on this world in this particular time. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Sharon? I I was thinking about um, Pastor Dave's sermon on our gifts, because possibly my gifts wouldn't be helpful to someone in whatever need theirs is. But I probably know someone who could help them. So maybe, I agree with yes, we probably should help everybody, but probably maybe that means directing them to someone or letting someone else know who has the gifts that can actually help Mm -hmm. them because Mm -hmm. maybe I can't Mm -hmm. in their situation. So the Levite also came upon the man and passed on by. Finally, a Samaritan came upon the man and seeing him, he had compassion and stopped and helped. In the story, the kind of help the man needed was obvious. However, often it's not as easy to discern the kind of actions that would be helpful. We see human need all around us, but no one can help everyone in need and no one can do everything. How do you determine who you can help and who you need to pass by? When you try to help someone in need, How do you know what is most needed? 
How do you determine what you can and cannot do to help the person? I think this goes back to your spiritual gifts, mm -hmm. what, what you are able. But I think the church being a community has all sorts of people with all sorts of gifts. So there's got to be someone within the church that can help others. Mm -hmm. For me, I, um, I think personally I have to help globally. How do I do that? Um, I, I used or organizations like UMCOR, United Methodist Committee on Relief. I know they'll be there in places I have no idea where the need is, but I trust that organization, Doctors Without Borders, these kind of vetted organizations that know the global need. So I can give to those organizations and, and then fulfill that need to help globally. And then, then I look in my community, you know, locally, f family, friends, neighborhood, that kind of thing. So that's that's kind of a structure that I have to help with the God's command mm -hmm. to help others, to love others. But to determine when you're face-to-face -face with a need, that's harder. Mm -hmm. It seems to me you have to have a relationship, going back to what Sharon and I were talking about. In order to know the need, you have to to be in relationship, you have to ask. I mean, we can assume, but we may be absolutely off the mark. One of my spiritual gifts is, uh, my first spiritual gift, my, my strongest one is prayer. So every, in my mind, everybody needs prayer. However, what if they need more physical help than that? What if they need food or shelter or a friend or Jesus? That's what I think is so great about Desert Spring Church, because when we do find a need, we were there to support it. Um, like like Bibi was saying, UMCOR, we've, we've supported that and all of the places that did, Pastor Dave mentioned in his sermon Sunday, like uh, building a Habitat for Humanity home and, and uh, just all of, when those needs come to light, mm -hmm. um, we respond as best we can. And since I've been a member of this church, I we respond in much stronger terms than I ever thought would, were possible. I know when he first did the different kind of Christmas, I couldn't believe how much money was raised just in a month to help with the malaria. And, and every year it's been the same way. Mm -hmm. it, it is amazing. This is a, I think, such a generous congregation. I think it's in our DNA. I I don't think that we we have to work too hard on that part. You know, it's such a such a generous uh, congregation. It's amaz It amazes me what happens. Um, you know, when we ask people, hey, let's let's send mosquito nets to Africa. And all of a sudden, you've got eighty thousand dollars to send. You know, it's 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 an amazing church, amazingly generous. The story began with a question asked by a rich young man: "Who is my neighbor?" By the end of the story, Jesus told the man that he was asking the wrong question. 
Instead of asking, who's my neighbor? Jesus instructed the man to ask him, ask himself, how can I be a neighbor with the people I encounter along my journey? For you, what does being a good neighbor look like? What is the one thing that you can do to be a better neighbor? Ooh, a bottom line question. I love bottom lines. What's the one thing? I would have to say kindness. Uh, to show kindness is always um, a merciful thing. So that's one thing. Um, and you can just amplify that. But if you're not kind, you've put up a barrier right then and there. I also think that um, praying is a very good uh, thing to do when you don't know or understand the needs. And with prayer can come answers. <clears throat> I remember when this happened to me with my neighbor, in fact. Um, so there um, in the house next to me, this uh, young woman with three kids with five and under. Uh, she was living there. I knew that she didn't have much money. So, you know, I would talk to her and I would make cookies and give it to her and the kids. And so I had some cookies already made, but it was time for me to go and walk my dogs, get in the car and take the dogs. And so I said, okay, yeah, I'll do that when I come back. And so I drove down the street and then I just, God just stopped me and said, give those cookies to her now. So I went back home, gave her the cookies, and I was just a couple of blocks away, but um, there was a trailer, and she was being evicted. So wasn't much I could do, but I think that that was just um, something that I remember that I did listen, because if I had gone and walked the dogs, and if I came back an hour later, she was gone. And her kids were gone. So just showing little kindnesses like that. I was just thinking of um, within our church, just within our own church body right now, when someone has some surgery and is in need for meals, there's a group that gets that will provide meals. Mm -hmm. um, to me, that's a good supportive neighbor within the church community. And then... Without outside the community, um, again, I, I think an awareness um, of what's going on within your neighbor. I know Pastor Dave had a whole series on who is your neighbor type thing too before, and and um, how I don't really know my all my neighbors too well. Mm -hmm. So um, just being neighborly, saying hi, just being there talking to them, being a friend. Mm -hmm. I think for me, um, being a better neighbor might be um, being more intentional about being a better neighbor. Um, and certainly kindness plays into that and politeness and a smile goes a long way. Um, but you've got to make, you have to make those connections with people in order to be a good neighbor. Um, and that's that calls me, again, outside of my comfort zone. So, One thing that um, I do, and I do it because my neighborhood's very transient, I pray for my neighborhood. And when I see someone moving out, someone moving in, 
I'll pray. I may not know them, but it provides a spiritual connection to to them. Hopefully I'll meet them. But that's one thing you can do. Uh, you have the gift of prayer, and You know, that that's so important. When you pray for someone, if it's someone in your family uh, that you don't see that often, and then you see them and you've been praying for them for so long, it just it just connects you in a way. I agree. I agree. And it places uh, your heart closer to maybe you're reflecting God a little bit better um, if you've been praying for someone. And you and that kind of opens up the uh, communication to maybe what are their needs? Mm-hmm. You know, God can, God can communicate. If you're praying for them, God can communicate uh, to you. Uh, maybe some specific needs. Right. So back to the story. There's another angle to consider in the story. The man in need was unknown. The people Jesus was talking to were Jews. The priest and the Levite were not portrayed positively. The Samaritan was, but he was a Samaritan. So who might the listener be inclined to identify with in the story? not the priest or the Levite, who would want to identify with someone who came off so uncaring. Would a Jew identify with the Samaritan? Would a Jew want to be like a Samaritan? Not likely. So the only person left to identify with is the person who's half dead along the road. What if that were you? And what if help came to you from someone you don't trust? If you had a choice in the matter, Would you accept the help? Remembering the context for the story and how not long after Jesus was crucified, who would accept help that comes in such an unexpected way from an outcast who was arrested, convicted, and put to death? What are your thoughts about the angle on the story? Well, it brings to mind the golden rule. You know, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you, that's empathy. That's, uh, oh, yeah, I really would like you to be nice to me, so I'm going to be nice to you. Here we are identifying with that person that's been beaten up and left uh, cast out on the street. Uh, So I think the lesson here is to um, understand that we need empathy. We if we identify with that person that's all beaten up and left to die, then we're to have empathy and show mercy. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what the golden rule is about. It's just really amplified here. Mm-hmm. And so if we are identifying with the man in the road that needs help, is now Jesus the Samaritan? who is helping us and who's paying the price and who's going to come back and pay more and and um, was a good neighbor to us. Does that put Jesus in that Samaritan role? An unexpected help, yes. And that's why we can't shun other people because we're shunning God when we do that. So, yeah, the Samaritan is that image of someone who's, who's 
an outcast, and yet who is the God figure mm-hmm. here? Mm-hmm. And if we've said, so, okay, you're not in our group, <laughs> you know, we we won't accept help from you, then we're not accepting help from God. Great. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. God sends help uh, in unexpected people. Uh, I think it's an interesting angle uh, to the story. And it's and it's interesting that considering um, Jesus's audience were Jews and him being identified as the Samaritan, um, it puts an even bigger angle on that right, to me. Right, because Jesus was a Jew. Was Jesus was a Jew, and the Samaritans were outsiders, unwanted. And there's also the idea here in the story is that, oh, yeah, pastor will take care of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, our church leaders will take care of that. We don't need to worry about that. And yet it's saying, oh, yeah. Everyone needs to be uh, that good neighbor, Mm -hmm. that good Samaritan. So how do you do with accepting help from others? Are you quick to accept or are you more apt to want to solve your problem on your own? What if God's help comes to you in an unexpected way through an unexpected person? What would you do? How do you do, baby, with accepting help from others? You're a very capable woman, a very strong woman. I would imagine that you don't need a whole lot of help from anyone. Is it, is it tough? Well, um, I'd say that I would want to figure it out on my own. But I, I will ask for help if I need it for sure. And I've done that before. Yeah. And that's a, that's a strength in itself. Yes. When my... Um, mother visited and broke her hip and and I you know she was visiting me so I I was always there at the rehab facility and working full-time and all that and on business trips and it got to the point where I said I can't do it and I called my two sisters and my brother I said I can't do it you've got to help me (laughs) and they did (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, was that a tough call to make? Um, knowing that they would help, it wasn't. If I didn't have a good relationship, it would be mm-hmm. a lot harder for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but I remember that was that was a time where I really needed help. Right. Yeah. What about you, Sharon? Is it is it easy to accept help from others? I don't think it is for some people. I. It, Keep in mind some um, elderly people that I've known that um, actually needed help, just a ride to church, Mm -hmm. and they didn't want us to go out of the way to pick them up to go to church. And it wasn't that much out of the way, but it was out of the way. Mm -hmm. And so they felt that that, that they wanted to go to church, but they didn't want to impose. And yet, years before that, they would do anything for anybody. So sometimes it is it is hard to accept that assistance that you need. Um, I don't think I'm that person, but um, because I do ask for help if I need it, but I don't. You know, I don't know. As you get older, mm-hmm. things in your life change a little bit, and so um, you you kind of want to. Be on your own as long as you can. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think it is hard for individuals. I, I hope I keep that in mind <laughs> as, yeah. I, as yeah. I get older and realize, yes, I do need more help than right. maybe I'm right. willing to accept. Right. And, and I see in my parents' case um, that maybe they see accepting help as a loss of independence. Um, so I, I can certainly understand why you would not want to lose your independence. You don't want to be dependent on your kids. You don't want to, you know, you want to do, take care of yourself. You've taken care of yourself for 80 years. Why would I not want to take care of myself, you know, now? But, but isn't it a ministry to allow yourself to be ministered to? And I think of all of the ministries that, that Desert Spring does, if people refused our ministries, what do we do now? You know, we're supposed to, we're supposed to be God's hands and feet, but people are refusing us. So I, it's, it's important that people accept that help as hard as, as hard as it is. I have a niece who um, worked with elderly people all her life, and she just has such a great manner with everybody when she's talking with them. And and I've re really respected her for that because it isn't always easy to keep talking to someone who has Alzheimer's who asks you the same question five times in a row or something. But, um, you know, you just have to think, well, in a few years, maybe that'll be mm -hmm. me. So you need, I think, keeping that in mind and and just being kind, as BB said before, and mm -hmm. and understanding. Right, right. And being kind can be inconvenient. That's for sure. Sometimes it's more convenient to just go on your merry way than answer that question five times. Well, any final thoughts? I think uh, this this story of the Good Samaritan is one that we have to be reminded of over and over again because we're too often that priest or that Levite that they'll walk on by mm -hmm. you know and we might be that person in the side of the road that needs help so there's just many layers to this story mm -hmm. and Jesus told it for a reason mm -hmm. and he also didn't call us to go after the people who had beaten the man on the side of the road it was it was not let you know mount up let's form a posse and go after these guys it's let's take care of the guy that needs help um and, and so i think that's an important facet for me as well um justice belongs to our our god and um and that is part of of who god is um and that's not maybe part of what we're called to do in this type of situation I think approaching this from each person's viewpoint is, is important to remember, too, because uh, there's so many different perspectives that we put on things, and which one do we want to be more like? Do we want to be more like the Samaritan, which I would hope we would want to be more like the Samaritan to help the people, but, but keep in mind that sometimes we are that Levite, and sometimes mm -hmm. we are that Pharisee. Mm -hmm and mm -hmm. be willing to accept that and say okay well i'm i'm going to get better mm -hmm. that's that's the whole idea of spiritual right. growth is to that's right to improve we're not called to be perfect we're called to improve 
follow Jesus, make your mistakes, forgive, forgive others, get up, do it again. Yeah. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for being here. Uh, thank you to my guest, B.B. Breckner, Sharon Scobie. I appreciate both of you. I appreciate your willingness to be here. Uh, it was short notice, and so I certainly thank you uh, for that. Um, I thank Chris, our technical director, as well. Uh, he does a wonderful job. And why don't we uh, why don't we close in prayer? Heavenly God, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters who I can uh, have a conversation with about um, spiritual matters and and really you know chew on this tough kind of um, learning and lesson that you know maybe maybe we slip a little bit with and, and need your forgiveness and your help to dust ourselves off and thank you that um, for this Christian community I ask for your blessing upon the listeners of this podcast may they have been refreshed and uh, have something meaningful that they have taken away uh, from this podcast. Thank you for Desert Spring Church. May we make a meaningful difference in the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen.